Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. Hi, I'm David Gustina. Joining us this week is State Senator James Skoufis, a Democrat from New York's 42nd Senate District. Senator Skoufis, of course, chair of the State Committee on Investigations and Government Operations. Welcome back, Senator Skoufis. Always a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the horrible crash. This is a bus crash carrying high school band that careened down an embankment last week. This was in Weiweyanda, and the crash killed two adults. It injured critically, I believe, five children. We have a larger issue at stake as well when it comes to getting to crash victims in time, and this is what you and your counterpart in the assembly Assemblyman Carl Brabenick, Republican, for a crash gate. And everyone listening across the state should be aware of what you're calling for. No, I appreciate that. And and last week was definitely the, the worst case scenario. You, you put your kids on a bus, uh, your adults, you join your kids on a bus for, for a field trip or a trip like this, and you assume safety from point A to point B. And obviously that didn't happen last week, and it was a horrific tragedy. I, everyone in Orange County, the, the kids and, and the families there from Long Island, as, as most people know, but everyone from Orange County, our hearts go out to, to those families that were affected. And, you know, the, we're very proud of, of our first response, uh, whether it's firefighters or, or police or EMS here in Orange County. I, and we have got some of the best of the best. And that was on full display last week for, for the entire nation to see. Uh, in that, you know, the, and most of these are volunteers, mind you. You know, we're not like New York City where uh, the vast majority of uh, firefighters and uh, EMS are, are paid. Here in Orange County, the vast majority are volunteer. And, and they treat this as, as if it is their, their full-time only job with professionalism and, and grace. And, uh, and they no doubt saved lives last week. As you mentioned, there were five children who were critically injured. Uh, all of them have recovered, and that is no doubt in, in large part because of, of those efforts. But one of the challenges uh, in, in that area specifically, and I suspect in lots of other parts of the state, is that the first responders don't have proper access to our highways. And for over 20 years now, the local fire department where this crash happened last week 
has been begging and pleading the state and more recently the federal government for what's called a crash gate. Because right now what happens is when there is an accident, and in an average year there are 30 to 40 accidents on this particular highway that the fire department responds to, in addition to all their local uh, calls. Those 30 or 40 calls on the highway, they have to track upwards of 10 miles to the nearest uh, on-ramp, the nearest traditional entry point, and then backtrack a whole host of miles to get to an accident on the highway. Whereas if they had this crash gate, they could get to a scene of the accident like that of last week in just mere minutes. Instead, uh, it takes their apparatus 15 plus minutes to get to a site like last week's. And so uh, we re-upped this call last week. There's, uh, there's urgency. Uh, last week illustrates the, the importance and, and the dire need for this crash gate. And we're hoping that the state and the federal government will finally now heed our calls and get this done quickly. Well, let's go to that. The governor was there last week when it occurred. Have you spoken with her? And what's her response to the idea of a crash gate? So I have not personally spoken with her yet. I'm sure I will, but I have spoken with her Department of Transportation uh, and both her office through the press uh, as well as DOT have signaled uh, that they are willing to to coordinate with the locals here uh, and my office and the Assemblyman's office and and do whatever they can to support this effort. The ultimate sign-off is with the Federal Highway uh, Agency in Washington, but no doubt uh, the governor's office and the state DOT are very important players here, both in terms of approval as well as funding. And so they've signaled uh, that they're on board. I'm certainly going to do my best to hold them to that. And, you know, it's, it's unacceptable that this has taken 20 years and, and countless accidents, not just last week's, Just in the last several months, there have been multiple fatalities on this highway that the fire department has responded to. And so it's high time now that we finally get this done. Well, have you heard from anybody else? Because I-84 goes through a portion of the lower part of the state before you head to New York City. It's about from Danbury, Connecticut, through New York, over to Port Jervis. So it's a good section. But then you have the thruway goes all across New York, and there are large stretches where similar things, I'm sure, have happened. Have you heard from anybody else across the state yet is saying, you know, we deal with this as well? So the I-84 highway has had interesting jurisdiction over the years, not to, to bore your listeners, but it was under DOT jurisdiction for a very long time. Then it actually ping-ponged over to the Thruway Authority uh, for about 16 years. Then it came back to the Department of Transportation, DOT, overlaid on top of this because it's an interstate. Uh, you do have the, the federal government. And so uh, it, it's, you know, it's kind of all over the place when it comes to jurisdiction and who to talk to and, and who has uh, authorization to do X, Y, and Z. I, as it pertains to I-84, literally in just the last few days since uh, we started making noise again uh, about this access point, this crash gate, uh, I've heard from uh, one other uh, town along this stretch that is also interested in a crash gate uh, that's adjacent to the state police barracks. Right now, the state police in a particular town uh, further west in Orange County uh, has to travel quite some distance to get onto I-84. They're looking now for a crash gate. You know, this is something that should be pretty simple. You know, it's not open to the public. It's just for first responders, police, firefighters, EMS. Uh, and, and it's for instances like the one that we saw last week 
They're not expensive uh, things to construct. Uh, they're pretty straightforward. It shouldn't, you know, incorporate any kind of enormous bureaucracy to get uh, these approvals. And so my hope is that, uh, that you know, any place that does need something like this, and I suspect to your point, uh, it's not just Orange County. It's all across the state where we could use additional crash gates and access points that we can move forward uh, in the interest of public safety. We'll have to catch up with you as we move forward and see how the federal government reacts to this. Now, let's talk about for a moment the issue of a hiring freeze. We've heard more recently from the state controller, certainly the Republican Party across New York State, including the chair Ed Cox, are yelling about deficits and many blaming the Democrats, of course, for that. But the governor now says and has told her budget director, who's told the state agencies they want a spending freeze due to the mounting state deficit. How is that ripple? How do you see that ripple effect happening across the state? Yeah. So so first on the politics coming from uh, Republicans, some Republican counterparts, the Republican Party writ large has lost all credibility when it comes to being critical of deficits. They, uh, they exponentially increased our deficits and our national debt uh, during the Trump administration and didn't blink an eye. I, you know, when Democrats are faced with it, you know, now suddenly it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a visceral problem uh, that they want to point fingers about. But that aside, uh, yes, we, we are facing a gap heading into next year. Unlike the federal government, however, uh, the state government is constitutionally required to balance our budget, and we do it every single year, uh, and we no doubt will do it next year. We have about three levers uh, at our disposal, uh, generally speaking. There's the revenue lever, there are the cuts, and then the third lever is uh, the rainy day fund, uh, the, the reserves that we have. And the good news is, that we were fiscally responsible and over the course of the last couple of budgets in particular have stashed away billions of dollars into our rainy day funds. And so utilizing those funds heading into next year uh, when uh, tax receipts are are questionable uh, and we are facing this gap uh, will help offset the need to use the first two levers or some combination of them. Uh, That said, uh, look, you know, this is always a negotiation. The governor clearly, you know, sees part of the solution in her opinion, as uh, a hiring freeze and and the personnel uh, and salaries line uh, in in our state budget. But that's all subject to negotiation. You know, if you ask someone like me, for example, I think that there are uh, significant uh, programs, uh, especially in the economic development space, that need to be scrutinized. We spend billions and billions of dollars uh, on economic development that I would characterize it oftentimes is taking the shape of corporate welfare uh, and giving tax dollars to large corporations that, quite frankly, don't need those subsidies. Uh, we're in the midst of actually the first ever audit of a lot of this economic development spending right now. We're going to get a report back at the end of the year. And, and perhaps that report will recommend that we reorient some of those public dollars. And that could be a place that we find savings. And so we all have our ideas about how to close this gap. Uh, we're going to be using the, the reserves that we have that we've strategically put away, and we will close this gap next year. We're speaking with Senator James Scoofus, a Democrat from New York's 42nd District. You're listening to the Capital Connection. I'm David Gustina. Well, let's move on to perhaps one of the biggest subjects around the country, 
and in New York. And that's the influx of migrants coming into New York City and then being sent upstate. We have some progress on this. Governor Hochul just said she's going to send more National Guard troops to deal with the issue. President Biden has approved work authorization for Venezuelans, and the Republicans in New York are pushing for a special session, delivering a five-point plan that says New York can do a number of things to help with this. Obviously, we're nowhere near a solution, and the problem continues. Where are you on all of this, Senator Skoufis? I'm in the category of we should be employing an all-of-the-above solution here. And that involves every layer of government that includes, you know, listening to our Republican counterparts, including, you know, certainly solutions that come from within the Democratic Party. Uh, Let's be clear. Uh, At the federal level, uh, they need to do two things. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about both of them. But not to be repetitive, they, they include securing our southern border, which has to be done. And both parties have turned a largely a blind eye to and over the course of decades, uh, if anything's been offered, it's usually been uh, symbolic offerings uh, that needs to be addressed. And, and look, you know, that's not uh, a, a tomorrow solution or a next week solution. That's a solution that's going to take some time, but has to start somewhere. That's number one. And the other I, I, I aspect of this, the federal government has to continue to move forward with. Yes, it was good news that the, there are about 15,000 or so uh, Venezuelan uh, migrants who are now given this, this new opportunity to, to seek work with, with this federal authorization. But it is only a fraction of the migrants that are here. Uh, there are well over 100,000 migrants that, that are in New York State and, and concentrated in New York City. And the Venezuelan uh, authorization impacts about 15,000 of those. And so we need to see more of that. Look, the migrants are here. They're going through a legal uh, asylum-seeking process. Uh, some of them may be successful. Some of them may well be unsuccessful. But in the meantime, they're here. And we got to put them to work. And only the federal government, I believe, uh, has the authority to do that. And so some good news over the past week with the Venezuelans, but there's still a lot more work to be done uh, in that space. And uh, and then, look, you know, as far as a special session goes, uh, I'm certainly open to it. I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to come back to Albany and uh, if there are legislative solutions uh, in, in this space, I, you know, I want to be a part of, of that solution. And so, uh, you know, obviously we're subject to being called back by the governor and the leadership of, of the houses, but I'm certainly ready to be called back if, if that's their inclination. Let's turn to schools, but schools in the context of climate change and the heating up of our earth. The summer, the hottest on record, of course, you, State Senator James Scoofus, have proposed a temperature cap for New York classrooms. You've capped it at 88 degrees, which is hot to begin with. But, I mean, having to talk about the fact that not all schools are air conditioned in this day and age, shouldn't they all be climate controlled for our young people? The short answer is yes, and it is astonishing that there's still a lot of schools in New York that do not have air conditioning. I, and you know, this is the year 2023. It's not 1923. Air conditioning uh, in our learning environment of all places should not be a luxury. I was visiting a school the, the first week of, uh, of their opening uh, a couple of weeks ago, 
and every classroom had a thermostat. And I happened to be there just as school was being dismissed. Uh, and so keep in mind, there weren't 25 bodies in the classrooms when I was visiting. And the thermostats on the classrooms read uh, 95 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And that's with the lights off. That's with the windows open and without, like I said, 20 to 25 bodies uh, at desks warming the classroom, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. And so, you know, no students can properly learn in that kind of environment. No teacher can properly teach in that kind of environment. And so just like we have in our state law a, a, uh, a minimum or a floor uh, temperature, um, because you don't obviously want children to be freezing in classrooms. We we do have that in state law, but we do not have a maximum. We have got a minimum, but not a maximum temperature uh, here in New York State. And so 88 is still hot, but mind you, it's it's not 95 degrees, which is what we saw throughout much of the state over the first couple of weeks of school. Well, then we got to put air conditioning in the budget request. Let's stay with the environment, Senator Skoufis. Extreme temperatures, flooding, wildfires, wildfire smoke. We're seeing it all happening. But in your district, what are the issues of climate that are impacting you? For example, infrastructure. Look, you need to not look any further than the, the massive storm that hit eastern Orange County uh, several months ago during the summer, and people probably remember, and it was national news, the uh, the horrifying images uh, in and around West Point, Cornwall, Highland Falls. The governor made uh, a couple of visits down here and just pure devastation. And so, uh, you know, the, the impacts are real. Uh, they, they are seemingly increasing as every year comes and goes. I, you know, in just the 11 years that I've been in office, I've seen uh, Irene and Sandy and Lee and Ida, you know, this this most recent one uh, uh, over the summer. And, uh, it, you know, these hundred year storms, this latest one, I think, was characterized as a 500 year storm uh, are certainly not uh, happening every hundred years or 500 years are happening with with frequency. And so. So, look, you know, we have to do our part. I believe we're on the right path to doing our part here in New York. We are one of, if we were a country, we would be one of the largest economies in the entire world here in New York. And so, you know, some people like to diminish, oh, we're one of 50 states. You know, we're only one country. Uh, you know, we are one of the largest economies in the entire world here in New York State. And, you know, I was uh, instrumental in, in helping write and pass the uh, the CLCPA, or Landmark Climate Change Law, back in 2019. And, and we are on the right path to, to, to phasing out fossil fuels and, and doing our part, as I mentioned before. But when I talked to the head of the Republican Party, Ed Cox, he was poo-pooing the idea. No, we, it's too little, too late. New York can't do enough, basically. And I tried to pitch him. You know, there are potential jobs involved in climate mitigation, putting men and women on the ground, retrofitting homes and, you know, reinforcing uh, culverts and whatever needs to be done. But if you don't have cooperation from the other party, how can we meet those obligations? And many of them are a little too late, 2050. Yeah, there, there's no no question that the whole world, not just New York, not just the you know United States. Although I would say that New York is is well ahead of the vast majority of other states sure. when it comes to uh, combating climate change. But no question, you know, we are behind the eight ball here, and so I, you know, it, it's. Uh, if it wasn't such a serious issue, it would be comical. Some of the responses that, you know, like the state Republican chairman, I uh, shared with you that that you relayed. Uh, you know, when 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 you're in 
the minority, when you're out of power, uh, as Republicans are in New York State, it's very easy to just say no. And that's what we oftentimes see from, you know, folks like the the state Republican chairman and and others like him is they just say, you know, this is terrible. This is awful. Democrats are, you know, doing this. No, 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 no. And, you know, no one questions them about solutions, what they'd be doing differently, because they don't have to offer solutions being in the minority. And they know it. And so this is all political. You know, a lot of these talking points are, are, you know, very, very strategic in nature uh, with with no sense or grounding of, of public policy or solutions. And, and that's unfortunately what we're seeing. You know, someone like myself will love to be able to partner governmentally on issues like this with Republicans, but so many of them, unfortunately, on climate change and a lot of other issues, they're just more interested in scoring political points, hoping to win a few elections next time that maybe digs them out of the minority instead of actually uh, you know, taking on admittedly difficult issues and trying to work towards solutions. You're hearing Senator James Scoofus, a Democrat from New York's 42nd District on the Capitol Connection. I'm David Gustina. Let's go to a, a fight you've been having with the Orange County IDA. It's an industrial development agency. You've been concerned about these agencies. I know it's moved forward. You know, you've been very vocal and loud. And for their part, the Orange County IDA has been hitting back. They have, and and I have, and and look, you know the the idea. So IDAs are in every county in New York State. Every county has one IDA. Many uh, uh, villages, towns, and cities also have their own IDAs on on top of the county ones. And some of them work well. Some of them really, really do not work well, uh, including the Orange County IDA. And these are the agencies that are tasked with giving out. Uh, uh, tax breaks uh, and predominantly property tax breaks to uh, to corporations, either looking to come to the area or existing businesses looking to, to stay in the area, threatening to leave. And so, you know, I, I've made it a mission to really hold the IDAs in my area accountable to taxpayers because I, it seems as though so many IDAs really disregard the interests of taxpayers. And instead, the attitude is, when a corporation walks through their doors and tells them to jump, the response is unfortunately simply how high. And so there are so many examples of the Orange County IDA uh, running amok, uh, bulldozing taxpayer interests uh, and flying off the rails uh, to the point where in the budget this year, I I, I fought very hard and, and fortunately was successful in securing a provision to install a state monitor within the Orange County IDA, which is something that's never happened uh, within the IDA space in New York State. But that's how bad it is. We're, we're going to see that monitor named in, I expect, the next several weeks. Uh, and uh, at that point, the monitor, which will be paid for by the Orange County IDA, uh, the monitor will be watching their every move like a hawk. And importantly, will have the authority to veto anti-taxpayer decisions that come out of the Orange County IDA. So it's going to be a new day when it comes to economic development in uh, in Orange County. And I believe sends a strong signal to the other IDAs around the state that this could be coming to you next if you don't you know, stop with your Wild West ways and get your house in order. Name one Wild West way. Yeah, so in, in Orange County, for example, uh, at the start of this year, uh, there's an existing business I, I, in the Tanagoshan in Orange County that uh, in their application, and I give them some credit here because they were honest, one of the questions is, would you continue with this project if you do not receive benefits 
from the Orange County IDA. And inevitably, basically everybody checks no. Some of them are truthful. Some of them are lying. Uh, these guys actually check yes. The project would have happened without tax breaks, uh, yet they were asking for 15 years of property tax breaks. And if that wasn't bad enough, out of the 50 alleged jobs they're going to create with this expansion, 45 of them, uh, they project, will pay $35,000 a year, which is poverty wages in Orange County. And what did the Orange County IDA do? They said, you got it. I gave them the full 15 years of property tax breaks with, you know, 90-plus percent of the jobs being created at poverty-level wages and didn't blink an eye. And that is, uh, that is proof positive why we desperately need a, a taxpayer watchdog within that Orange County IDA. While we have a, just a few minutes left, can you tell us about any other investigations you have going on currently in your role as the chair of the Senate Committee on Investigations and Government Operations? So one issue that uh, we're beginning to dig our teeth into with one of my colleagues, Senator Zelnor Myrie from Brooklyn, uh, is uh, is this this sort of opaque office called Corecraft. Uh, that is housed within the Department of Corrections that oversees our state prisons. And and this is the office that has incarcerated individuals uh, constructing furniture. They're the folks that, uh, that, that put together all that sanitizer during COVID. And one of the alarming uh, um, elements to Corecraft and, and all of this is that state offices uh, and local governments, uh, many colleges, many not-for-profits, don't simply just have the option to purchase the furniture, the chairs, the desks, the sofas, et cetera, from Corecraft, but they're actually required by New York state law to purchase these things from Corecraft. And Corecraft, you know, you're, they're not getting it seemingly not getting some you know huge discounted rate, uh, you know, due to the fact that they're paying incarcerated individuals 65 cents an hour to to build these things. It seems though, in some cases. The prices are actually above market value, above the cost that you would get at, you know, uh, Office Depot or, or uh, you know, some other big box store. And so we're, we're looking into this. We're going to have a hearing uh, at some point in the next couple of months. And so your listeners should stay tuned to more on Corecraft. He is Senator James Scoofus, a Democrat from New York's 42nd Senate District, which includes Middletown, Woodbury, Monroe, Senator Scoofus, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to talk to our listeners from around New York, and I only hope that you'll be willing to come back again and talk some more in the future. Delighted to join you and always happy to come back. The Capital Connection is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. You can listen to The Capital Connection anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for another political conversation. For The Capital Connection, I'm David Gustina. Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative.